Hello, everyone. Getting back at it with session three. We're calling it name dropping. And uh, you'll see why here in a little bit. Now, this book is called Ruth, and yet we haven't talked about Ruth really much at all. We've, we've talked about Abimelech. We've talked about his sons. We've talked about Naomi. We've talked about all sorts of people. But the principal character of our story here, we have not looked at. Well, friends, that ends today. We'll be looking at the story through her eyes. And so we won't be going verse by verse as much this uh, time around, but looking at different passages uh, that are specifically about Ruth here in chapters 1 and 2. When we look at the details of Ruth, what I want you to do is we're, you're listening to her story and, and her point of view. Begin to ask yourself the question, what story does this sound like? The authors in the Old Testament are constantly tracing backwards using names and words to help us see how different stories fit into each other. This is one of the, the things that provides so much depth is that these authors are constantly using this mechanism of going back and connecting one story to another story. And we're going to see the same things happening here as we look at Ruth and what she is about. So when you hear her story, in the back of your mind, just be thinking, what does this sound like? Just to reset the story here, remember, there was a famine in the land in Bethlehem, and a man named Abimelech and his two sons and his wife, Naomi, go up to Moab. We remember that this was a mistake. This was not God's intended plan. Then the text says in verse 4, chapter 1, that they settled there, or they lived there for 10 years years. Remember that detail. That's going to come back into play later. We remember Abimelech dies and his two sons are now supposed to take up the role, their role of continuing their father's name, continuing the, the line and the name of their family by producing a next generation that would carry on the line. But we talked about the fact that they instead do the opposite of that. They marry Moabite women, which according to God's law would have cut off their line and their legacy and their lineage. And so later on, these two brothers die. This would trigger the need for Yibam. A whole family, a whole name is disappearing. And now it requires somebody to step in and to produce a new heir, produce a new start for this family if their name was to continue. Because if you remember, the purpose of Yibim is that when a tragedy struck and there was no longer an ability to carry on a family name, that somebody would step up and redeem the situation and provide an heir so that the person's name may not be blotted out. So Yibim is all about maintaining and preserving the name of the fallen, taking it upon yourself to actually bring your name down in order to bring another person's name up. It's an attempt to perpetuate somebody else's legacy. It's not about building your own name. It's about building up the name of your brother. So these two brothers disqualify themselves from carrying on their father's name. Then they die. Things aren't looking good. And if you're the reader, you're going, wait a minute, this is the cycle of Yibam. This is the 30 generations in the making story. We're supposed to see a better, fuller picture of Yibam. And who's going to do it if these brothers are dead? And now enters Ruth. And clear themes of Yibam begin to bubble up to the surface. 
Yibam is about losing your identity so that you can preserve the identity of another. Check out the speech that Ruth gives to Naomi. She says, For where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. If you're hearing that, you go, oh, oh th there's, there's the Yibam. Somebody is willing to lose their identity in order to preserve the identity of another. Ruth is essentially saying, hey, I'm not giving up on you, Naomi. I made a commitment to you and your family. And right now it looks like we're never going to be able to carry on this legacy, but I'm going back with you. And I don't know how it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going to come from, but God is going to redeem the situation and I'm going to be part of it. So no, you can't, you can't get rid of me that easily, Naomi. I'm coming with you. And you're the reader. You're going, oh, could it be the Moabite is going to be the hero of the story? Could, could it be that this Moabite woman is actually going to follow in the footsteps of the great Yibam people before her? And so she goes. She leaves everything behind. She literally loses herself in the story. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. These are deep identity rooting statements that she's saying, I'm going to lose my name in order to continue to perpetuate the name of my husband and my father-in-law and your family. And so she goes. Even though she didn't know where she was going, heading to a promised land as a stranger in a foreign country, leaving her country, her people, her household. Remember, Naomi tells her to go back to her household, and she says, no, I'm coming to join your household. She gives all that up for somebody else's name. And, and notice in chapter 2, if you look at that, Boaz recognizes this when he speaks to her. He recognizes this great sacrifice. He sees how she has forsaken her name. He says this, You left behind your father and your mother and your birthplace, and you went to a nation that you do not know. You left behind father and mother and the place where you grew up, and you went to a nation that you did not know. On our wedding day, my wife actually read this verse as part of her vows. Because on that day, she was losing her name. Actually, quite literally, she lost her name. She was no longer a car anymore. She was along. She was leaving her father and her mother and her household and her land. She grew up in Vermont and she moved with me to the foreign country of Boston. And she's been following me ever since. She perpetuated not her name, but my name. Our children are not cars. They're longs. She dropped her name so she could carry on mine. And now I want you to take a few minutes to think about this. And again, I want you to ask the question, where have we heard this before? Ruth is portrayed in the book as being someone whose tragedy struck her family. A need for Yibam comes up. She takes up the call to do that and then goes on a journey in which she leaves her family and her land behind and goes to a place she does not yet know. 
where have we heard that story before in this great Yibam story? And how is the author trying to connect her story to his? So let's give you a few minutes there to think about that, and we'll come back. And we're back. Let's answer the question. Where have we heard this story before? The answer is Abraham, the last Yibam hero ten generations before. Let me give you a little reminder of what happened in that story. Abraham's story comes at the heels of the Tower of Babel, that humanity has gotten together, and they say to themselves, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. So interesting, this theme of name starts here, a group of people wanting to make a name for themselves. And then we're introduced shortly after to Abraham. And we talked about in session one how Abraham is the best example we've seen yet of this Yibam cycle. His brother has died. A tragedy has struck the family. And so he takes it upon himself to marry one of his daughters with the intention of having children so that these children would continue and carry on the name of his brother. It's the perfect counterpart to the tower. And just like Ruth, Abraham doesn't know how this Yibam story is going to end because we find out that Sarah is barren. Their attempt at Yibam fails. And so God calls them to go on a journey. He calls them to leave their country and their people and their father's household and go to a land you do not yet know. The book of Hebrews picks up this idea. It says in chapter 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. It's all the same language as Ruth. And so he goes on this journey not knowing where he's going in a foreign land, unsure of how God is going to redeem the situation, and yet he goes. And notice what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Abraham is willing to lower his name for a brother, and as a result, his name actually gets elevated to redeem the whole world. He loses his life and then gains it. We're supposed to see that Ruth is the next in line. She is the next Abraham. She's willing to give up her name, her identity, and goes on a journey to a land foreign to her as a stranger, leaving her household, her father, her mother, everyone behind, not knowing how the story will end, but trusting that God would provide. But there's another connection between Ruth and Abraham. But this one isn't about what unites them. It's actually what distinguishes Ruth from Abraham. Because if you remember, each 10-generation story of Yibam that we looked at in session one was progressing. It was getting better. We were seeing bigger, fuller, more beautiful pictures of Yibam. So when you're reading Ruth, you're not just asking, how is Ruth like Abraham? You're also asking, how is Ruth better than Abraham? How is she showing an even better, more beautiful, more fuller picture of this redemption? And we get the clue to this in a very subtle detail right at the beginning of the story. In chapter 1, verse 4, we get this seemingly minor detail 
that when they lived in Moab, they settled there for 10 years. Now, this might seem trivial, but this is actually a huge clue in how Ruth is going to be better than Abraham. Because later on in Abraham's story, he too also goes and settles in a place for 10 years. Come with me to Genesis 16. In Genesis 16, it reads, right, first verse, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. So we see they are still wondering how God is going to redeem this thing, how they're going to get this child of promise that would redeem their brother. And they get restless, and they get impatient, and they begin to circumvent God's plan. Yibam hasn't happened yet, and they begin to lose faith. So they come up with this plan to use the maidservant Hagar, an Egyptian, a foreigner, to bear the Yibam child in place of Sarah. And the text says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband. It's the exact same language. When they had lived and settled there for 10 years, they began to lose faith in God. And so they took matters into their own hand. They tried to accomplish Yibam in another way. So when you start reading Ruth and you read about this family that goes to a foreign nation, the brothers die, the husband dies, the need for Yibam arises, and then we've discovered that they've been, they've settled there for 10 years. You go, ooh, this is the same part in the story where Abraham fell off the wagon. I wonder what the next Yibam hero will do. And what we will find is where Abraham fails, Ruth succeeds. She trusts God. She trusts his timing. In the next chapter, Ruth is going to be tempted in the exact same way that Abraham was. But where he failed, she will succeed. But we'll get to that next session. For now, take some time with your group or individually to explore the questions and see how all these connections are being made. Okay, let's begin asking some questions of ourselves. <sighs> because we live in an ever-increasing, celebrity-driven, platform-building, blog-writing, ladder-climbing, social media world, don't we? We're people of the tower. We build monuments to make a name for ourselves. Maybe for you, it's trying to get recognized at work. Maybe you stay at home with the kids and feel less than by those who work outside the home. Maybe you have friends and whenever you get together, it's just one big measuring contest. Maybe you see the success of others in your field and are discouraged that you're not there. Maybe you see others making visible impacts in the kingdom and you feel your contributions aren't that grand. Maybe you just feel unappreciated and unrecognized. But the story of Ruth, the story of Abraham, is that when you lose your name, that, that's when God makes it great. Because if you notice in the last section of Ruth, her name is not mentioned. It's all about Naomi. Naomi has been redeemed. The women share, Naomi has a son. Obed comes from Ruth, but it's not Ruth's son. It's Naomi's. That's what Yibam is all about. Ruth does the work and somebody else gets the praise. 
Ruth is only mentioned as the daughter-in-law, and her name isn't even found in the closing genealogy of her own book. But Ruth's name is redeemed, because we find it again generations later in the genealogy of Jesus himself and Matthew, like we've looked at before. Just like Abraham, God made her name great. She will never be forgotten in the story of the Bible, but it is only because she loses her name in her own story. See, when we lose our name, we have to be willing to wait for it to be redeemed. You and I may never see God's redemptive work play out in our lives. Years may go by. Ten years, perhaps. And if we're not careful, we get impatient, like Abraham, and begin circumventing God's timing. We push our own agendas. We highlight our work. We belittle someone to make ourselves feel better. We put someone in their place. We fight battles that aren't ours to fight. Have you ever made a cutting comment about someone in a social situation? Or that subtle social media post that highlights how strong or hardworking or smart or awesome you are? Or inserting yourself in a situation that doesn't concern you because your opinion huh, is just so important? Where are you building towers to make a name for yourself? Because while we build towers, God is actually looking for people who are acting on behalf of others, who are willing to lose their names so that other people's names might not be blotted out. You see, God works best in weakness because when we're willing to drop our names, we're embodying the very nature of the gospel. Jesus on the cross reveals this mysterious, backwards, upside-down reality that death of self is not weakness, surrender, or failure. And resurrection is not vague or distant or abstract. Rather, the gospel is a rhythm of life that embraces death so that we might experience life to the full. And if we enter this Christ pattern, if we give ourselves up, if we lay down our lives, if we drop our name, we experience this new resurrection life all around us. When my wife Molly and I were first married, she worked at a, a manufacturing company and she was a service manager and did a lot of the heavy lifting for the company. It was a small family-run business. And she, behind the scenes, really did a lot to keep that place running. And oftentimes, she'd come home discouraged. She'd feel undervalued, underappreciated, or talked down to. And I remember she was telling me and asking me for advice, me as the wise spiritual pastor. I told her, you need to fight for for your right. You need to let them know what you're doing. You need to tell them. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to put them in their place. And I'll never forget a few days later, Molly said to me, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this situation. What I think, what I think I need to do actually is, I think I just need to love them. I mean, I'll speak up when needed, but I think God is telling me to come to the end of myself. And if I stop playing the game, if I, if I put down the sword, then they won't have power over me anymore. And I thought, yeah, that sounds better. You see, this resurrection life is a life of freedom, peace, joy. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to be imprisoned by somebody else's standards. You don't have to work towards your own worth. Because aren't we tired of doing that? And I'm tired of making a name for myself. I have lost, personally, sleep and time 
and energy worrying about how I was being portrayed or how I was being judged or how I was being recognized. And it's miserable. It chokes you out. It leaves you empty. And the story of Abraham, the story of Ruth, the story of Jesus is when you lose your life, when you drop your name, then, then you gain it.